Welcome to Writer Types, the crime and mystery fiction podcast. My name is Eric Beatner, and beside me is my co-host, S.W. Loudon. Hi, Steve. Hey, Eric. Today on the show, Sarah Paretsky tells us how her fans will respond to her hanging out with you and I. They're going to hate it, and they're going to send me angry emails saying, we trusted you, and you don't know what you're doing. And we ask William Kent Kruger if he's excited to be on Writer Types. No, I don't really care. And Marcus Saiki and Sean Cherkover give us tips for dining out. There's a strip club up the way. They got great wings. We can all go. <laughs> all that and much more brought to you this time by Crime Spree Magazine and recorded on location at the Murder and Mayhem Conference in Chicago. Now, we have a lot to get to, but quickly first, Steve, have you read any good books lately? I recently read Alex Cizak's latest novella, Down on the Street. This one's pretty dark, but it has some really compelling characters and great writing that make it hard to put down. I think fans of modern hard-boiled crime fiction are really going to dig it. How about you, Eric? There are two recently that I really enjoyed. Uh, one is called Brighton by Michael Harvey. And this book got a ton of praise last year, and it's all well-deserved. It was a great twisty crime story that really moved. The other book was Arrowwood by Laura McHugh. And this is less action-packed than Brighton, but it was a deeply involving mystery that really drew me in. And I loved her first book, The Weight of Blood. And this one was also really great. And, you know, I listened to both of these on audio during my commute. Now, Steve, do you listen to many audiobooks? I have in the past. It's something that I'm planning to get more into again, but I haven't recently listened to anything. They are a lifesaver when you have to drive an hour and 20 minutes each way to get to work. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. Well, like I said, we were lucky enough to attend the first annual Murder and Mayhem in Chicago conference a few weeks ago, and so many authors were there, and they gave us a bit of their time to sit down and chat. First in the hot seat is William Kent Kruger, author of the standalone bestseller, Ordinary Grace. But his bread and butter is really the Cork O'Connor series set in his home state of Minnesota. Your books have such a wonderful sense of place, and they make a region of the country that people don't necessarily think of as exotic into some place that's pretty exotic. Do you think that Midwestern or rural locations are, are underserved a lot of times in fiction? Oh, I think there's a lot of the United States that's underserved. When we think of mystery fiction, crime fiction particularly, we think of, you know, New York or the, the mean streets of L.A. Right. or San Francisco and for, or Chicago. Maybe with Tony Hillerman, he was the first guy I stumbled across who set his mysteries someplace outside and someplace that was, in fact, exotic. Right. I, I had the uh, great good pleasure of uh, listening to his editor talk one time, and while he was talking about Hillerman's work, he threw out this phrase, domestica exotica. He said, Americans love to read domestica exotica. And what he meant by that was, Americans love to read a story that's set within the confines of the continental United States, domestica, but is about a place they don't really know, so it's exotic to them. He was talking about the advantage of writing about a place in such a way that once readers have read the, the, the piece, they feel like they've been there. So that's essentially what I've tried to do with Northern Minnesota. Right. So we're sitting at Murder and Mayhem in Chicago right now. What I'm curious about is when you're here, are you able to turn off your writer brain when you're in a big group like this? Or are you picturing the horrible things we might be plotting to do to each other? <laughs> I can turn it off. I was just sitting this morning listening to the really intelligent conversations that were going on between the panelists. And I'm just marveling at how many bright people write 
you know, these dark murder mysteries. Yeah. <laughs> For somebody coming to your books newly now, do you recommend that they go back to the first book, or do you care how they jump into the series? No, I don't really care. In fact, if you write a long-running series, you have to be aware that readers may come to that series in the 14th or 15th book that you've written. Right. So every story has to be independent. It has to stand alone. That said, if you've written 14, 15, 16 <laughs> books in a series... There's no getting around the fact that there's history to the characters here. So when I began writing um, the Cork O'Connor series, Cork O'Connor was a man in his very early 40s. I'm writing him now, and he's 56, 57. His children, his youngest son, was five years old when I began the series. Mm. Stephen, he was Stevie when we began the series. He's Stephen now. <laughs> I was Stevie when we started this podcast, uh, <laughs> and, I'm, and I'm Stephen now. Yeah. You have aged so well. <laughs> he's, he's a part of your life now. I mean, when you think of Cork O'Connor, is he, is he like a family member? Is he like a friend? What is, what is he like to you? Uh, he's a chess piece on the board. Oh. You could be that dispassionate about it? Yeah, you know, I love Cork. I love spending time with him. Uh, I love the family. I love all of the characters that populate the stories. But if the story dictated I got rid of Cork, <laughs> I'd get rid of Cork. It's sort of a schizophrenic experience because... You're imagining it so well that you have to be able to feel the emotions that you want the reader to feel. At the same time, you have to be able to stand outside that experience and make artistic judgments about what's happening. Well, you took a bold step in killing off a major character, which Eric and I definitely both appreciate. How did you approach that decision, and was it a long time in the coming or something that unfolded as you wrote the story? Yeah, that was an interesting experience. So here, let's not tell readers which one. No, yes, yeah, so we're trying to get it. Yeah. It's Stevie. <laughs> no. <laughs> With that particular manuscript, I debated a long time how I wanted the ending to unfold. And when I finally completed the manuscript, that particular character was still alive, because that's what I wanted. I really enjoyed that character. It was the ending I wanted. But when I looked at it, it wasn't the ending the story wanted. So I rewrote it with the ending it has now, knowing it was going to upset a lot of readers, not certain at all where it was going to leave Cork or, or me or the, the O'Connor family, but knowing that it was the right decision to make. Now, I think your books definitely have an overall a tone of optimism. You're not writing these sort of noir, pessimistic uh, downers. Do you read stuff that's more noir and downbeat? This is so interesting no, because, yes, I love, I love James Lee Burke. Dark, dark stories that don't always have that you know, feel-good, happy ending to yeah. them. That's not the kind of story I want to write. Because there's a part of me that believes every good story really, in the end, is about hope. And so that's what I always want to leave my readers with, is a sense that, yes, there is justice. Yes, there is good reason to be optimistic, despite all of the darkness that surrounds us. And that's just fine. So we all just met. Given your first impressions of us... Which one of us seems like they would be more a killer and which one more a victim? I think you guys would do it together. Ooh, I like this. <laughs> yes. And then in the end, one of you would double cross. And if I knew you five more, yeah, if I knew you five more minutes, I'd know exactly which one of that, one of you would rat let, the other out. Let me answer that question for you. It's definitely Stevie Stevie. <laughs> <laughs> See, it doesn't take but a moment and you turn on each other. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. 
I really like the idea of us teaming up to commit crimes together. I don't know, Eric. I think I prefer my crime fictional these days. Well, Steve, we saw so many authors at this conference, both on the panel stage uh, and just roaming around the halls. Yeah, and we just had to talk to them for a very special unpanel this time around. Normally, we interview three authors, but with so many to choose from in Chicago, we've got something a little special up our sleeves. So we wanted to talk to them and find out what they loved about coming to these writer conventions. My name is Hector Acosta. My book is Hardway. And this is actually my first convention. I came here because I know a lot of people from Twitter and Facebook, and I wanted to meet them face to face. And it's been a great experience so far. Everyone, it really is a family of crime writers. Hi, my name is Holly West, and I write the Mistress of Fortune series. And I come to conferences because, one, I like to hang out, and I've got a lot of friends in the community now. But also, I get inspiration from these people, and hearing people talk about writing helps me to create as well. So thanks, everybody. I'm Susie Calkins, and I write historical mysteries set in 17th century London, and I really enjoy coming to conferences like this because it's fun to get to meet readers and connect with you know, people who've read my book, people who might want to read my book, and then I get to learn about all kinds of other books as well, so it's pretty awesome for me. I'm Angel Lewis Cologne. I'm the uh, author of No Happy Endings and the Blackie Jaguar series of novellas. I like communities mostly for the tax write-offs, but beyond the uh, savings of like $35, it's seeing all your writer friends. That's like the key component to it. It's like a family reunion, so you get to kind of shoot the shit, talk crap about people, which is always fun, and eat good food. That's the trifecta. You spend a little money, but you get to hang out with folks that you feel are family, and you get to eat garbage, and you get to talk craft. So you nerd the hell out. And we'll have even more authors later in the show, but right now we get an in-person visit from our resident book reviewers, the Malmans. That's right, I cornered them at my sister's home where she was hosting a brunch, and you know the Malmans, they'll go anywhere for free food. All right, I'm here live with the Malmans in Chicago. How are you guys doing? Doing great. Doing great. And a special guest, my sister Gretchen, one of the most avid book readers I know. I'm doing great. All right. Did you guys pick up any new books this weekend? I had a copy of, uh, an advanced reader copy of Meg Gardner's new thriller, uh, Unsub landed in my lap, and I'm oh, super You excited. lucky bastard. Yeah, I, it's good to know people. Yeah. <laughs> Kay, did you pick up anything new? I did pick it up physically, but I heard about Negro Nanofe by Danny Gardner, who was one of the moderators of one of the panels, and he read at the BoucherCon New Orleans Noir at the Bar, and the, one of the chapters that he read was amazing. So I'm looking forward to that. It's good stuff. I have read that. No, and I think people are really going to like start paying attention to Danny Gardner. Now, we are actually standing in front of Gretchen's to-be-read pile, which is... Uh, Tinkering on the verge of killing the dog. <laughs> yes. uh, you, could, you could kill a small family with this pile if, it were, if you had an earthquake or anything. So how do you decide what to read out of this giant pile that is quite literally 100 books deep? Yeah, it's 160 or so. Um, I have different methods. Sometimes I look for what I have that's been on the pile the longest. Sometimes I you know, go for the shortest book, sometimes for the longest book. Sometimes I just kind of randomly, if I need a palate cleanser, if I've been reading different things, I'll kind of grab something that's completely different from the last book I read. And what did you get this weekend that you're excited about? Um, I got a couple different ones, but I got Lori Raider Day's new book, The Day I Died, so I was lucky enough to grab a copy of that that I'm excited for. 
Nice. I got an advanced copy of it. It's really good. All right. Well, it's great to see you guys actually uh, in the flesh. And it's nice to do it without the dead weight of Steve Loudon with me. Totally. Nice not to have a Steve here. You're looking a lot thinner without him attached at your hip. So I, I think this is a good look for you. <laughs> that is totally staying in the show. <laughs> well, I guess I deserved that for what I said about Dan in the last episode. Yeah, Dan never forgets. We just heard about Lori Rader Day's new book, The Day I Died. Well, she was also one of the co-chairs for the Murder and Mayhem Conference, and we were lucky enough to get a few minutes of her time during a very busy day. You came right out of the gate with the award-nominated and award-winning novels, The Black Hour and Pretty Little Things. Little Pretty Things. Oh, Stephen. Little Pretty Things. research is falling apart. (laughs) It's okay. Everybody does it. Okay. You came right out of the gate with the award-nominated and award-winning novels, The Black Hour and Little Pretty Things. Thank you. What are Eric and I doing wrong? (laughs) Is that the question? Yes. How do we get these awards? Yes. I don't know. I don't know. Because it's my first and second books, I don't really know what to tell you. Uh, you (laughs) Have you been surprised at the response? Absolutely. Absolutely. The, um, The Black Hour was nominated for five or six awards, and it won... Three, I think. Wow. Um, of course, the big one was the Anthony Award, which I was stunned by, which anyone who was near me in that room will tell you. First, I just sat there, and then someone actually had to say, they called your name. I'm like, no, no, they didn't. <laughs> mm. Chicago has gotten a bit of a bad rap in the headlines in recent months. Uh, is it as bad as they want us to believe it is? You mean the crime in Chicago? Yeah. Um, I don't know. I don't really know. Um, You can live in Chicago and really never see the things that you hear about on the evening news and in the headlines in certain parts of the city. Yeah, I think it is pretty bad, Um, which is a shame for all the people who live there and for all of us. It shouldn't be like that as a a siren (laughs) is going by in the background. Yeah, yeah, we got some crime in Chicago. Uh, Yeah. Oh, look. Oh, oh, why, look, it's my co-director. Look, we're, we're being joined by Dana Kay. The- what a surprise. <laughs> <laughs> she doesn't look like she wants to sit down, but she's going to. Well, we were, we were singing the praises of this wonderful conference that's almost come to a close. Yeah, I think it went really, I think it went really well. I think so. Seats are filled. Books are being sold. People are happy. You both have a glow of satisfaction about you. We still have some work ahead of us. Like, we're not done. It's a glow of exhaustion. (laughs) (laughs) The rosy glow of, yes, post-conference adrenaline drop. (laughs) (laughs) If we fall asleep at dinner, (laughs) that might be when it happens. Why do you think Chicago needed its own crime fiction day to celebrate? We didn't have a mystery event here. Like, there's so many, there's so many great literary events here. There's individual book signings. There's so many great regional conferences around the country, but there was nothing here anymore. It was so there was this void, this hole to be filled. And we have a lot of mystery readers here. We have a lot of mystery authors here. So why not put them together for a one day event? I think Chicago is just that city that is so in love with its own history, in love with its um, own, you know, the, its old buildings. It's, it loves stories about itself. And we have so many great Chicago crime writers. It just seemed a shame not to have that kind of event in town. 
Now, you guys have been planning this conference for like a year and a half, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. Are writers difficult to work with? Are they difficult to wrangle and (laughs) get commitments from? I think the problem is when you're doing a single track conference one day is that you can't use all the talent you have access to. But the truth is, this is the first of what we hope will be many annual conferences, yeah. and you can't use everybody every year. So our hope is to mix things up and, and to get new people, different people, every year. But are they difficult? Yeah, sometimes they are. <laughs> well, who, who's the worst? Eric Beatner, yeah, he's a real jerk. We have our soundbite. <laughs> <laughs> We're sitting here, and the first year's event is not yet done. Mm-hmm. What would you do differently in year two? It's like little things. There's like some little things like maybe, you know, switch up where the org- the table is for registration, remember some little things. But really overall, I think we did a really good job. Disaster could happen when we leave this room. Yes. <laughs> uh, I'm not trying to jinx you. You <laughs> might be. I'm I don't know I'm knocking on you. whatever surface this is. <laughs> it's not what. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, we have, uh, all right, Dana, you got to go. I'm sorry. We have questions to ask Lori about her new book. I have feedback about her new book. Oh, new oh, amazing. oh Dana, well, why don't you tell us about Lori's new book? <laughs> yeah, well, I don't know how to talk about it yet, so you go ahead. Her new book is so good. She she does this really great job of writing really interesting characters and covering an element of darkness that like we don't want to go there, and yet because we're intrigued by the characters, we are forced to go there. And she does a really great job of pulling the reader in that you have to go along for the ride, and I think she does a good job of getting the reader to trust her. Well, Lori, Dana's done your work for you. Yeah, I'm done. you're done. I'm done. It's, you can it's go almost break, like you, you, you can go break so down boxes. It's easier when someone else tells you how, tells yeah. how awesome you are, so you don't have to pretend like... Yeah, I'm, I'm, oh, that's yeah, okay. but I also don't have your, I also don't have your talking points down yet, so you should give them the my highlights. Talking points down yet. Well, but this is—is is this officially your first interview for the day? We should um, mention actually the name of the book. It's probably yes. so speaking of not selling your book very yeah, well. I'm doing a terrible maybe job mention right now. the name. It's called the day I died. Okay. Well, Lori, thank you for a fantastic conference. Of course, thank and you thank so you much. for a great interview. You know, when we were searching the archives of Shotgun Honey for a story to feature in this episode, we knew it had to be a Chicago writer. And since Murder and Mayhem was celebrating its first year, we thought it was appropriate for you to hear a new voice in the crime fiction world. Carmen Jaramillo is a Chicago native, and I had the pleasure of hearing her read when I did an event a while back, and I was really impressed. And we think you will be too with her story, Carnivore, from the vaults at ShotgunHoney.com. For a woman who'd probably kill her trader business partner, Julietta didn't seem too ruthless. Everyone warned me about her, but she mumbled and barely looked at me as she set the box of potted plants in my passenger seat and gave me my instructions. Part of a limited edition strain. My clients are paying over twice the usual price, so I need you to drive extra careful. Oh, sure, got it. Each pot had a little tangle of very thin, slick vines and radioactive orange flowers. Petals floppy and pointed, like a jester's cap. Connoisseurs would dump money to get Julieta's homegrown carnivorous plants, the trendiest illegal collectible on the West Coast. She kept pawing at the vines as she murmured. I wasn't actually sure she'd killed anyone. All anyone ever warned me, when I told them I'd become her new delivery girl, was that Julieta couldn't be intimidated. Don't try to strong-arm her. She's not afraid. So, do you understand all that? But I still felt like I could berate her into any arrangement I wanted, with enough time. I sure wasn't afraid of the trophy boyfriend I'd heard about. Kyle, her gorgeous little lapdog. And I only assumed she'd killed her partner because I kept hearing that the partner hadn't been seen in San Fran for weeks. 
Yeah, but I'm wondering, you used to have a business partner who helped you grow, right, Amber? She used to help me find buyers, though I've been doing that myself for a while now. But she never helped me with cultivation. I could picture muttering Julietta hunched in a swampy greenhouse, feeding the plants freeze-dried maggots with a tweezer. So, what happened to her? She's still around, or... Julietta still wouldn't look at me. Amber felt jealous that I told Kyle exactly where my growing shed is, but that I wouldn't tell her. And when I admitted to her that I didn't need her anymore, she threatened to sell me and my plants out to some other unit in L.A. So no, she's not around anymore. That confirmed it, though it still didn't explain all the warnings I got. Might be crazy if you ran an Etsy shop selling homemade cat collars, but if your line of work was hawking illegal carnivorous plants, killing your trader partner just made good business sense. What else did I know about Julietta? Another friend once showed me a picture he'd taken at a party of hers. A golden dream of a 20-year-old with his marble sculpture arms clung to her scrawny shoulders. Amber must have been jealous of the money and pretty Kyle, who Julietta showed off like an Olympic medal. I thought Californians must be soft. Afraid of a dinky, scrunch-faced gardener woman just because she came to the coast with nothing and made a hot pile of money with her plants. Well, not me. I let some ideas turn in my head and smirked at her, reaching for the ignition. Right, yeah, okay, so it's hard to keep people from pushing you around when you operate alone. She cut me off. Her voice came a little clearer. You need to send a message. Let everyone know threats have no effect on you. Show them nothing else matters. She caressed the edge of a petal with a fingertip, gazing at it with soft eyes. That's the importance of this special strain. A message for everyone who needs to know. Those flowers and the meat-eating vines were the gooeyest nuclear orange I'd ever seen. Did you feed those plants with Amber's body? Of course not. They gave her a few thousand and sent her back to Tulsa. She's never been a threat to me anyway. She's never actually known where I store all the plants. So no, not Amber's body. Julietta looked straight at me for the first time. Like I said, you have to send a message. Just so we're all clear on what I'll do to protect my plants, I fed them the one person who knew where I keep them. I gave her a withering croak. Kyle? She smiled at me. There are more where he came from. Have a good trip. Remember to be careful. For more crime stories under 700 words, visit ShotgunHoney.com and listen in every episode for a new tale and maybe even hear a new writer. And now it's time for more of our Unpanel from Murder and Mayhem in Chicago. This is Danny Gardner, author of A Negro and an Ofe. Well, why do I like to come to conferences? You get a crash course in everything that's going on in your genre, everything that's going on in publishing. And, you know, you get a chance to break bread and rub shoulders with people who can actually take an interest in your writing make you a better writer, and even publish you at some point. And, you know, even if you're a little introverted, well, there's always booze in the lobby. <laughs> I'm Cheryl Huntingford. I'm the author of the Viv and Charlie Mystery Series. Um, this is actually my first conference as a published author. And I also moderated uh, the historical author panel, so that was... Uh, kind of a baptism by fire <laughs> for me. But I had a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun to talk to like-minded people. Yeah, and I made a lot of connections, and I had a really great time. 
My name is Brian Quatermus. I'm the author of Murder Boy and Riot Load, and I come to conferences like this for family reunion. Hi, my name is R.J. Corretto. My third mystery novel has just come out, and this is my very first mystery conference. I've been to a lot of conferences as a nonfiction writer, but this is my first one as a fiction writer, and I love meeting fellow writers, and I love meeting mystery fans. Two of my favorite authors were there in Chicago, Steve, uh, Marcus Seiki and Sean Churkover, and we got lucky enough to grab them both to sit down at the microphone. They gave us a lot of good stuff, but we especially loved this story about their first ill-fated book tour together. So the first voice you'll hear will be Marcus, and then Sean chimes in to help tell the tale. We, uh, we both had sold our debut novels, and so we were very high on ourselves <laughs> and talking about <laughs> ourselves a lot. But we found out they were both actually coming out the exact same day. So we decided to tour together. And so we packed up my <laughs> You want to talk uh, your, your rookie maneuver, yeah. <laughs> to throw two debut novelists in a shitbox that looks like Goodwill, like packed to the roof, uh, and drive around the Midwest in, in February. February. Like that's perfect plan. That's an author tour for yeah. you. Yeah. We only had car accidents on the yeah. way. That was <laughs> I forgot that. A couple speeding tickets. I've forgotten the second yeah. one. Yep. Our first signing on our tour. Which Sean's is, already laughing. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Apparently this is a good story. Yeah, right? no, we're gonna, we can co-tell this one. This, uh, it was in Kokomo. Indiana. Um, usually I'm very polite about such things and past experiences. Uh, it's a shithole town with a shithole bookstore. <laughs> that you uh, arrived in in your shitbox that car. We arrived, yeah. Like, we fit right in. Yeah. <laughs> um, but we also, we, we were so pleased with ourselves. We were an hour early. We're 20 minutes into the drive when we realized that they're across the timeline. So we are actually oh, no. slightly late. Um, which made a difference because allegedly there was going to be radio there. They, like they were going to do the thing like, hey, we're hanging out at Bob's bookstore with authors. So this guy drove uh, like NASCAR, basically, <laughs> to, to race there. Did get a speeding ticket. Yeah. Um, but we were and, – and we they, – they booked us for a four-hour <laughs> session. What? We were going to have a four-hour book signing. While on the radio. So we, and we, we didn't know what we were doing. We, this is our debut. This is our first time touring. So totally we're like, yeah, right. sign us up. We'll sit there for four hours in your bookstore with the radio guy. And then we arrived. <laughs> Huge sign on the outside. Used books. And we walk <laughs> into this place. It's the size of a barn. We walk in. And the first thing that the owner says is, hey, yeah, the radio thing didn't work out. <laughs> but you'll still stay for four hours, Yeah, right? it's like, but don't worry. You guys can still and stay it, for the whole four. there's not a soul in the place. <laughs> I think across the course of four hours... Two or three people came in. Mm -hmm. None of them for us. We sold no books. There was a guy who came there, not for us, who was just sort of stalking the aisles. And he came over and sat down and started telling us about um, real-life killers. Yeah, he was fascinated by serial killers. He, he and it was his, he called it his hobby. I, I study serial killers; it's my hobby. And yeah. he was, and then and then there was Bundy, and and, and then there was Ed Gein. He wore their skin, <laughs> and he was just like a really intense, weird guy with this. Yeah, and this started laugh. apropos nothing. I wasn't like, hey, do you have a weird hobby you'd like to discuss with us? <laughs> um, Eventually. We we asked the owner of the bookstore if there's a place to get a meal around there after, and serial killer pops up and goes, "There's a strip club up the way. They got great wings. We can, we can all go. <laughs> the best wings in Kokomo. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> the the follow up question is, how were the wings? <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
You're listening to Writer Types. I'm Steve Loudon. And I'm Eric Beatner. And this episode is sponsored by the good folks at Crime Spree Magazine. Those good folks are John and Ruth Jordan, who published the magazine, as well as putting on the original Murder and Mayhem in Milwaukee conference. We sat them down for our six-shot segment. And this time, you really get five shots, plus a very special offer for Writer Types listeners at the end. After running Murder Mayhem in Milwaukee, seeing the Chicago one as a sister event start this year is actually really nice. I think Chicago has been missing an event since Love is Murder stopped. And there's so many mystery fans here, mystery authors. It's great for people to be able to do something locally. And on a personal level, I love being able to come to an event like this and not have to do anything. I think this is going to be a big event for Chicago springtime. Hopefully just not bigger than ours. <laughs> Where were we when we created the idea for Crime Spree magazine? We were in the seediest hotel in Las Vegas, surrounded by 450 mystery writers, looking at them going, we can add something to this community. That was 15 years ago. We were a little cockier then. <laughs> And even back then, we're thinking, we don't want to be just another blog or just another website. Let's write a magazine that we want to read. And we just said, let's do it. Never thinking about, oh, shit, I got to get advertising. I got to get subscribers. I got to get bookstores to carry it. What have we learned about crime and mystery writers? They're the most generous and heartfelt group of people in the world. If you use the words free beer... You will not be able to get them to leave your home. What is the number one misconception authors have about us? We're not really as nice as everybody thinks we are. (laughs) (laughs) That's my answer. (laughs) If I was to give one single piece of advice about getting noticed by Crime Spree magazine... And truthfully, any other place that can do reviews or maybe do something to give you a bump, don't be too pushy or full of yourself. Coming to us and saying, I've written a book unlike anything you've ever read. I've written the best PI novel you've ever seen. Immediately makes me think, challenge accepted. And I'm on the defensive. My number one piece of advice for a writer is to write the best damn book that you can and we will hunt out that book. So if you're listening to Writer Types podcast, that means you've got good taste in where to find crime fiction news. And that also means that if you mention this podcast and reach out to Crime Spree Magazine and subscribe, you get an extra issue added to your subscription just for being a listener. That's a pretty generous offer, Eric. And I think maybe Ruth was wrong. They really are as nice as everyone thinks. Well, I could play a bunch of the stuff that we cut out and dispel that rumor real quick. But if you want to take advantage of their generous offer, head to crimespreemag.com and subscribe and be sure to mention writer types for your free issue. One author who's as kind and generous as the rumors have it is a true legend of crime fiction, Sarah Paretsky, the creator of iconic heroine V.I. Warshawski and the keynote speaker at Murder and Mayhem in Chicago sat down with us to talk about her storied career. We are here. We're very honored to have Sarah Paresky with us. Thank you for joining us on Writer Types. It's good to be here, especially it's good to be inside when their drunk teenagers are marching around for St. Patrick's Day outside. <laughs> it's, it was getting a little crazy even at 8.30 in the morning. Uh, a lot of people dressed in green. <laughs> 
so let's go back to the beginning, and I want to know what was the spark that inspired you to write that first novel? Was it a mentor? Was it other books you were reading? You know, I think without both the women's movement and without Raymond Chandler, I never would have written a novel. I read a lot of crime fiction. It's always been my favorite form of reading, and these days when I need a lot of escape from what's going on around me, I've stopped reading history, politics, and serious fiction, and I'm escaping back into into crime novels. That's why we do it, right? To give people a, a bit of a break from the real world. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> so when I was in my 20s, second wave feminism was really coming into its own, and I started seeing that a lot of the self-doubts and self-criticism I had and lack of direction I had came out of this sort of devaluing of women's lives and experience. And at that moment, I also started reading Raymond Chandler. So in six of Chandler's seven novels, it's a woman who presents herself in a sexual way who is the main villain. And I began having this fantasy that I would create a hard-boiled detective who would turn the tables on this stereotypical, you know, the vamp image. Mission accomplished. There you go. (laughs) Well done. (laughs) And I created a really hard-boiled character. People think V.I. is rough. They should have met Minerva. She was was really hard-ass. And Stuart Kaminsky of Blessed Memory was teaching a class at Northwestern called Writing Detective Fiction for Publication. And Stuart, he was incredibly helpful. He liked VI. He um, said that I had made VI too perfect. She needed to have flaws, so I gave her my flaws. I made her a <laughs> bad housekeeper and with a trigger temper because I thought best to stick with things that I knew that uh, I could replicate. Exactly. But he kind of gave me the psychological boost that I needed to write the thing to the end. So many books and years of experience later, is staring at that first blank page easier or just as difficult as the first time you did it? I think it's harder. The first time, you're not risking anything in a way. You're doing it for yourself to prove that you can do it. Now I feel like I'm very grateful to have the readers that I have and the support that I have, but I think this time they're going to see all of the places that I've duct-taped and used chewing gum to (laughs) put the story together, and they're going to hate it, and they're going to send me angry emails saying, we trusted you and you don't know what you're doing. It's it's gratifying to hear, actually, that it it doesn't get any easier. I I don't know if it's gratifying or terrifying. A little of both, both, maybe. (laughs) So I just threw out, I'm under contract for a book that I'm supposed to finish by the end of the year, and I just haven't been able to get traction with it. And then finally, two days ago, I threw out the 90 pages that I'd written and went back to the beginning. So the one thing that I have learned, trust your gut. If it's not working, it's because you're trying to make something work that won't. How do you deal with your character, V.I. Warshawski, aging as the series ages? I am waffling on that now. I'm embarrassed by it, but I just am not ready for her to get old. When I started the series, we were both about 30, and I thought I was going to have her age in real time. I mean, who she is was very much determined by the social justice movements of the 60s and 70s. But as I've gotten older, 
It's hard. It's hard to stay as physically active as she needs to be. I want her to still have a sort of a sexual erotic presence, which you can as an old person, but not as easily. I want her to be able to be active and physical. And then the other side of it is I'm personally at an age, I'm turning 70 this year, where there's a lot of loss in my life. And um, my fictional world is my my safe place, so to speak. Mm -hmm. So I'm not going to let people get old and die. I mean, the ones I care about. So Lottie Herschel, who by now should be close to 90 and certainly shouldn't be operating anymore. That's not going to happen. I mean, Mm. you be the person who takes the scalpel away from her. And Mr. Contreras, he fought at Anzio. He's holding steady around 90. And the dogs, the dogs are just going to be young forever. I've lost, I've broken my heart over three golden retrievers, and I'm not going to have VI break her heart, too. So to wrap up here, let, let's say Steve and I were to run afoul of V.I. Warshawski. What might she do to us if we made her mad? <laughs> <laughs> Asking for a friend. <laughs> <laughs> well, it kind of depends on the nature of, of what you did as to what she might do. I mean, if you jumped her in an alley, she's 50, but she could still deck you. Um, <laughs> If she couldn't bring you to justice, she would get evidence and expose you publicly and make your partners, your children, your dogs never want to be in the same room with you again. <laughs> so we, we either get beat up or shamed. Yes. Right. I think I prefer getting beat up. <laughs> I could, yeah. yeah. That, would, that would be safer. Okay, we've learned some interesting things today. Sarah Peretsky told us a 50-year-old woman could beat us up. Sean Churkover and Marcus Seiki warned us about book signings in Kokomo. And Lori Rader Day taught us if you're going to promote your new book, it's best to tell people the title. Well, that does it for this episode. We'd like to thank all of our guests and contributors for joining us and our hosts in Chicago, Lori Rader Day and Dana Kay. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter. And don't forget to rate us on iTunes, Stitcher and SoundCloud. And while you're there, go ahead and subscribe. This show is produced and edited by Eric Beatner and S.W. Loudon. You can find out more about Steve's books, including the upcoming Crossed Bones at SWLoudon.com. And you can find out more about Eric's books at EricBeatner.com. Join us next time when we talk to more writer types. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.